Hey everybody, welcome to church. It's good to see you. Again, my name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here, and it is good to be together in God's presence, even if we're spread all over our city. And frankly, some of you probably coming further away from us than Atlanta. Um, I'm going to read from the Bible, so if you have your Bibles, please pick one up and turn in your Bible to Matthew 22. We're going to read and then pray and spend just a little bit of time together in God's Word. I'm actually really excited about the Word today. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask you to help us today to receive truth in the word. God, wherever we are and whatever it is that's going on in our lives and our hearts, we pray now for the peace of the Holy Spirit to think deep and true thoughts about the Bible. But God, not just about the Bible, help us to think deep and true thoughts about you and about our own lives. Help us, Lord, to listen to Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this passage is, I think, a really telling one because Jesus is not among friends we see that he's just rebuffed a group of people who are trying to test him or throw him off guard and now another group puts a lawyer in front of him and the lawyer asks him a question um, tell us what's most important about the law and y'all it's really important for us to recognize that the law of Moses contained roughly 613 laws and now Jesus is being asked to sum it up by saying what's most important, the one most important law. And so actually the fact that Jesus is being tested, if we were able to put that aside, what's happening here is actually really interesting. If I had been in the crowd that day and I heard somebody say, tell me the most important thing, I probably would have stopped what I was doing and turned and paid attention to what Jesus was gonna say because he's actually maybe gonna give us a really important insight. And it's actually really significant that Jesus, when he's asked, he doesn't just give one answer. The guy asks for one. Jesus gives two commandment answers. And both of them focus and center on love. And I think it's actually really instructive for us that when we think about the heart of God for the whole of the law, he brings it down to two commandments that you can't engage without thinking about love. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is all about love. It's all about how we order our loving. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna actually think in three directions, loving God, loving others, and learning to love ourselves. Because until you think about those three movements, you can't actually take Jesus serious. We've gotta actually live in three directions here to be honest and truthful with this text. And so before we jump in, I just wanna say this. Love, understood classically, means to desire the good of another. And we have a problem in our world today because we tend to think of love as something that's primarily for us and about us. And yet the ancients, Jesus' contemporaries, Jesus himself would have understood that love meant desiring the good of another. 
So as we think about love in these three directions, God, others, and self, we have to think of love in terms of what does it mean for me to increasingly desire the good, the good life, the best for God, others, and self. So with that in mind, let's jump into this passage. So the first movement we see here is to love God with your whole life. Jesus actually says the most important thing, the way to understand the way the universe is ordered is to understand that we have to love God, not just with our minds, not just with our hearts, not just with our actions, our hands, our acts of service, but we have to love God with everything. Jesus actually makes a very comprehensive statement when he speaks of heart and soul and mind he essentially says i want all that defines who you are to be turned toward god so how do we desire the good of god see the word worship is not just a warm-up before the sermon and unfortunately for many of us that's the way that we tend to think of it we tend to think of worship is like what happens in church when the musicians get up the word comes from a, a kind of old understanding to ascribe worth worthship and we're meant to give worth to god we're meant to love and turn our love toward God in a way that actually moves the heart of God. And I want to say to all of us today that we're meant to kind of come under the love of God and direct our love up toward him. And when we do that, when we love God rightly, we become a kind of anchored presence. We become rooted and grounded. I'm going to read to you something from Ephesians 3. Paul says this, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Holy Spirit so that in Christ he may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. So as we think about what it means to love God, I believe the Lord wants us to recognize that when we love God rightly, we are increasingly rooted and grounded. We're standing in a solid and a firm place. So I want you to think about your love of God. I want you to think about the fact that the Lord is calling you to love him in such a way that you become increasingly sturdy and stable especially during uncertain times like the ones we're living in right now. The first priority of every person who would take Jesus seriously is to say, what does it mean for me to love God? And I'm going to tell you that will not happen without intentionality. It will not happen unless we carve out real and meaningful and intentional space for worship. And when I think of worship, ascribing worth, I mean you need to do that corporately and privately. So my worship actually is corporate. It's with other people. Even today, gathering in homes across the city and watch parties, coming over to the parking lot later to pick up your communion kits, joining us on the 1st of November in the evening to worship together. That's how we come together and ascribe worth to God. But y'all, it's not enough just for us to do it together. It's actually been one of the problems of the pandemic. Many of us only understood worship and devotion as a, I go to church. And so what happens when you can't go to church? When we're scattered, we've got to actually cultivate a hidden life with God. And right now, I believe one of the key formational invitations in front of each and every one of us is to have a hidden, private, secret life with God. Time in the Word, time in devotion, time in prayer, time in silence, meditation. This is where spiritual practices are so important because they anchor us. 
And the thing that I want you to see from Ephesians 3 is this. God wants you to be the kind of person who is rooted and grounded in love, sustained by love. And that's something the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in mine. He wants to actually tether us, anchor us, so that we remain solid when everything around us is uncertain. So we're meant to love God with our whole life, personally, corporately. But the second movement in this passage is we're meant to allow that love of God to manifest in a love for others. And Jesus actually, I think, would have us think about three ways that we would love others. Our intimate relationships, our nearby relationships, and our faraway relationships. When you read the New Testament, you see that these concentric circles of most intimate radiating out, this is the way mission unfolds in the New Testament. God calls people to be present with what's right under their noses, and then work their way out. And I believe that the way we would love others, this manifestation that love of God means loving other people, that they go together, means we have to think about the different spheres of influence. And so I'm going to ask you to think about three spheres of influence. And I'm going to tell you, some of what we're going to be invited to think about may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, because chances are we all have areas where we really need to grow when it comes to how we're actually loving other people. Make no mistake about it. If you claim to love God and you are struggling to love others, there's a disconnect somewhere along the way. And in every disconnect, there's an invitation for us to pay attention. So let's think about these three circles. Your intimate relationships. How are you currently showing up in your most intimate and immediate association? So I'm thinking family. I'm thinking close, close friends. I'm thinking people in your life that you know um, and you, you deal with on a very regular daily basis. How are you showing up in those relationships? See, sometimes it's tempting for us to think, you know, I'd rather just be present to people really far away because these people in front of me are so hard. It's in the nitty gritty of the most intimate relationships that our truest character is manifested. And so I think we need to think about this. How are you in your most intimate relationships? Where is God inviting you to show up and maybe do some changing, some repenting, some rethinking how you are in those relationships? Because those relationships are actually an indicator oftentimes of how we're doing with God. What about the nearby relationships? When I think of nearby relationships, I think of people that are not in your most intimate space, but people you interact with on a weekly or even a regular basis, people at work, people in your neighborhood, uh, maybe more distant relations that you do see, though, more than just once or twice a year. See, I think that there's a real test here for us to look at these relationships. Are we able to be present with people or do we run into one of two extremes? See, if we're not clear We'll either lose ourselves in responsibility with people that are in our nearby life or we will become uh, scarcity oriented and we'll run from those relationships. See, when you think about the life of Jesus, when Jesus dealt with his closest friends and then it radiated out to the 70 or to the crowds, he knew when to be alone and he knew when to be present. And when he was present, he was really present. So how are you showing up in your nearby relationships? I think there's an invitation for us to think clear and sober thoughts. Am I retreating 
so that I can be fully present? Do I have a rhythm of life that gives me space to actually engage the wider circle of people around me? So how are you doing there? Then I think only once we think about our intimate ones and our nearby ones are we able to really think clear thoughts about what it means to engage people who are far away. See, one of the tendencies is to go, I'm not great with intimate relationships, so I'll just engage far away. But I believe that for us to have credibility in the far away relationships, we have to have credibility in our more intimate spaces. See, the kingdom of God is not an either or, it's a both and. God wants us to see our loving of him and our loving through intimate relationships manifest in a heart for those who are not naturally proximate to us. So how are you doing at loving those who are far away? I want to read to you something from a sermon that was preached in 1960, actually, here in Atlanta, Georgia. This is a sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached. And I want to read this because I was really struck by these words from Dr. King. Preached at a pulpit just down the road from us. He said, who is my neighbor? I do not know his name, says Jesus. He is anyone to whom you prove to be neighborly. He is anyone lying in need on life's roadside. He is neither a Jew nor a Gentile. He is neither a Russian nor an American. He is neither a Negro nor white. He is a certain man, King says. Any man lying needy on one of the numerous Jericho roads of life. Listen to what Dr. King says. This is so important. So Jesus ends up defining a neighbor, not in a theological definition, but in a life situation. I believe that one of the fundamental invitations for each and every one of us to consider is what is my life situation, according to Martin Luther King Jr.? What is that life situation inviting me to notice? Who is Jesus inviting me to love? Who is further away? Where is my life leading me? I would submit to you that if you go to this church and you live in this city, that right now your life situation is inviting you to love and to care about racial justice and racial reconciliation and racial healing, specifically among black and white. I believe the Lord is calling us to move toward one another in ways that might seem uncomfortable, that might feel uncertain or even unsteady, and yet it's an invitation. Where is your life situation calling you to be? I think that right now in the cultural moment that we're in, there's an invitation for us to pay attention to things. We actually don't have a choice but to care about race. I believe that it's a call in this moment that our life situation is saying, pay attention. So I would submit to you that that's a call for you. If you're listening to my voice, I think that's an invitation for you. But there are probably other invitations as well. As we think about our faraway relationships, what's the Lord inviting you to think about? Who are those further afield? See, if we don't think of intimate, nearby and far away, if we can't see those three things at play in dialogue with our love for God, then we're missing something. But guys, Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, worship, take care of people, game over. See, the second command that Jesus highlights actually has a sub point to it that we sometimes forget. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the third movement in this passage, one that I think we overlook too much of the time to our own hurt, is the call of God to love ourselves. 
And some of you grew up in a kind of Christian or religious home where you were taught to never, ever, ever think about yourselves. Well, I would submit to you that you can't take Jesus seriously in the second command unless you have a healthy understanding of how God sees you and how you're meant to see you. See, if we don't engage in self-care and frankly, self-awareness, our love of neighbor will feel tinny and cloudy and unsustainable. So do you love yourself? Do you take care of yourself? Do you take adequate time to be alone, to be renewed, to be recharged? Do you see yourself as being lovable? And I'm gonna tell you, this was a fundamental shift in my own spiritual formation. I knew God loved me because I was a Christian but I always thought he loves me because he has to. And it was as if a lightning bolt hit me many years ago where I was struck with the idea, am I easy to love? Does God love me because he must? Or does God love me because he made something in me as a child of his, an image bearer that makes me inherently lovable? And so I would say to you, do you see yourself as lovable? able to be loved. See, if we don't, we'll project our insecurity. We'll project the the hollowness of our love and our service will wear us out if we don't believe that we're lovable. And I believe that God wants you and me to have an increasing understanding of our value and our worth so that out of that sense of settledness, our loving of other people and our loving of God will actually flow in a manner that's easy, that has a lightness to it in terms of the yoke and the weight. So I've got a couple of questions I want to put in front of you before we finish today. And I know that many of us are watching church in groups. And so this would be an opportunity to hit pause on the screen and um, interact over these questions. And if you're doing church by yourself, this may be an opportunity just for you to do some journaling or some simple internal reflection But I want to pose three questions before we pray the Lord's Prayer together. In what ways are you currently tending to your love of God? And I would encourage you to be as specific as you can. And there may be some lack there. It's okay to admit lack. How are you tending to your love of God? Number two, where might you be best served at this time in your life to cultivate your love of others? So think intimate, nearby, and far away. And I want to make a note there, where you're drawn may not be where the invitation is. If you're struggling in intimate relationships, this may be an opportunity for you to do some rethinking and re-engaging. So where's God inviting you to invest in your love of others? And thirdly, do you see yourself as lovable? And here's the harder question. Why are you lovable? Can you name something about yourself? And this may be a real risk for some of us. It may feel really uncomfortable. But y'all, we have to get a revelation of our lovableness if we're to be the people he wants us to be. And now as we finish our time together, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. But before we do, I just want to remind you that we're going to be in the parking lot this afternoon. So we would encourage you to come and say hey to a pastor, have a cup of coffee, pick up your communion kits for church for the following week. This is an opportunity for us to be the church and to remember that we belong together. Before we pray, I just want to say, if this is your home church, this is an opportunity for you to give. You can visit our website at atltrinity.org. Go to the West Side page. There's a button for giving. If this is your home, it's an opportunity to give. 
But if you're a guest, we just want to say to you, everything's taken care of. We're just super glad you're here. We're thankful to be the family of God. Let's pray together the words that Jesus has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you later this afternoon. Amen.